we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back. Episode two, very exciting. We've doubled the number of episodes with this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, my name is Mel Herbert, ER doc and podcaster. We're going to be talking about bites, bitey things, bad things that bite you, that make you afraid. We don't like spiders. We don't like snakes. We don't like things that bite. None of us. Nobody. Nada. Even Jess, the famous Jess, the ER doc that you met last week, who's part of the show, even Jess is afraid of spiders. Here's her story. And here's a little bit about why, perhaps, just a little bit, you should be afraid of some types of spiders. For example, the widow spider. I think my fear goes back to when I was a kid and I lived in an area where there was a lot of black widow spiders and I felt like they were out to get me. Even though now I know that they weren't, I felt like they were because there was times when I would turn down my bed and as I opened the sheets, there'd be a freaking black widow spider in my bed. So it wasn't until I went to medical school and I was rotating in the ER and I saw patients who actually had widow spider bites and that's when I realized I had to face my fear and I had to be a doctor and address these fears so I could treat these patients because now it was about the patient. Right Jess, well you're going to have to tell us about these spiders. Who are they? What do they look like? Why do they bite us? And if they do bite us, what happens? Am I going to die? Am I going to feel really bad? What is the deal with these widow spiders? And where do they get that name? The black widow spider. What does that mean? Oh, so many questions, so little time. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time to go a little arachnid on this podcast and learn about black widow spiders. So widow spiders belong to a genus of spiders called Latrodectus. Remember from science class, genus and species? So they're part of the genus Latrodectus. And then there's many different species within this genus. So in the area where I grew up in Southern California, there was Latrodectus hesperus and Geometricus. And Hesperus is that really classic looking black widow, the black body with that bright red hourglass on the abdomen. And they have these really round or globose abdomens. They all generally have that shape, but the coloration can differ from one species to the next. So the word Latrodectus is an interesting word. It has a Latin derivation and it comes from Latro, which is like a thief or a bandit, and Dectus, which is bite or biter. So it's basically like a bandit biter. And it's also the name of the toxin that they make called latrotoxin. That's what's in their glands that comes through their fangs when they bite. And basically what that does is it causes a release of neurotransmitters. So neurotransmitters are these little chemicals that allow your neurons or nerve cells to communicate with each other. It's sort of like two cells are playing ping pong and they're passing the ball or the neurotransmitter and the message from one cell to the next. Now these are how your cells normally communicate, so that's how it tells your brain, you're feeling something now, you're touching something, or move this muscle. So now imagine one ping pong player takes about a million ping pong balls and throws them all at the other player all at once. Well, that would be overwhelming and cause all sorts of abnormal sensations and pain. And that's basically what happens with the widow spider bite. So we talked about what they look like, round bodies. Many of them are black with the red hourglass, but not all of them. The coloration can vary. And where I grew up, 
there's something called the brown widow spider, and that's Latrodectus geometricus, the brown widow. And they are tan to light brown. They might still have an hourglass on their abdomen, but it can be yellow to orange, and their legs are striped, uh, light brown and black. So they can really vary, but the body shape and the leg shapes are usually pretty consistent from one species to the next. They all make similar types of egg sacs. They look like cute little cotton balls, but they're full of 200 to 900 little baby spiders. And when those hatch, they cannibalize each other. They basically eat each other until the fittest are the only ones left to roam. And that brings me to my first myth about widow spiders, which is the idea of sexual cannibalism. Well, maybe it's more of actually a half-truth because this idea comes from some experiments where what they did is they took a female and a male widow spider, they put them in a cage, they watched them do their spider hanky-panky, and then the female ate the male alive. This is how they got the name widow spiders. However, it's not clear whether or not this happens in nature because it hasn't really been observed in nature, more so just in captivity. Oh, just so it's becoming clear to me. So these little spiders, uh, they lay lots of eggs, which is really scary. And then these little guys, they go and eat each other's brothers and sisters. That's really, really nice. And maybe if you put them in captivity, uh, mummy spider and daddy spider, well, they will do that thing that spiders do. And then mummy will eat daddy. It's your basic horror show. Okay, tell us about the bite. Mm, I'm afraid of this part. So let's talk about the bite. First of all, spiders are not hunting you. They're hunting little tiny crickets and centipedes and things that they can easily capture in their webs. They make these chaotic, sticky webs that are usually low to the ground and in corners, and that's where they trap their prey. A spider is only gonna bite a human if it feels threatened. Hey, Spidey, you looking at me? Are you looking at me, Spidey, huh? You want a piece of this? You want a piece of this? So, for example, you accidentally sit on a spider. That's when you probably will get bit. La, 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 son of a... Now, what should you do if you get bit by a spider? Well, first of all, if you can capture the spider, that is very, very helpful because then we can identify the spider and that may help us treat the injury. Let me just keep it real here for a second. Um, you're not going to be able to identify the spider because anybody that gets bitten by a spider turns around, sees the little bugger, and smashes it beyond all recognition. It's a bloody little pulp. Nobody, nobody, not the Michael Jordan of entomologists is going to be able to recognize that thing when you're done with it. So what's this thing going to feel like? It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt immediately. It's going to feel like someone was stabbing your arm with a hot knife. And that pain's only going to get worse over the next several hours. The pain's going to increase. And you may develop something called fasciculations. This is a fancy pants doctor word for a painful muscle twitch that you can't control and it's going to increase. And that fasciculation may start to spread from your leg or your arm, wherever you got bit, and start moving inward towards your abdomen or your chest. And that's when it starts to get a little bit more scary. Your blood pressure is going to go up. You're going to feel anxious. You're going to be in pain. You should probably come to the ER and see us. It's probably not going to take much convincing, right? You just got bitten by a spider. You're now uh, tachycardic. Your heart is racing. You're sweating. Uh, your heart is basically pounding out of your chest. And it hurts. Oh, it hurts so bad. And it's getting worse. 
and it's getting worse. And sometimes it sort of goes, if you got bitten on the leg, for example, you have leg pain and then it becomes belly pain and then it's total body pain. I don't think we're going to have to convince you that you probably come by and say hi to the little doctors and nurses in the emergency department. The problem is, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is that so many times you don't know you got bitten. You come to the emergency department with all those symptoms and the smart doctor and nurse has to work it out. If they do work it out, what are they going to do for you? Well, we're going to treat your pain. Pain medicine, maybe something for anxiety, and tetanus shot. You got a skin puncture wound. We don't want you to get tetanus. So those are the main staples of treating spider bites. But everyone always wants to know about... Whether you're going to develop superhero skills, the ability to walk up walls and shoot webs out of your arms. It's going to be great. Yeah, that's right. No, not that. Antitoxin. I knew you were going to say antitoxin. Everyone's always wondering, is there antitoxin? Can I have the antitoxin? And the truth is that we reserve that for very, very special cases because, and this brings me to the other myth about widow spider bites. In all of the world's medical literature, I could only find three reported cases of people dying from a widow spider bite or the complications of a widow spider bite. And none of these have been in the US. So in the US, there are 2,500 cases reported to the US Poison Control Center every year of a bite. 2,500 every year, and no one in the U.S. has ever been documented to have died from a widow spider bite. Say what? All of this fear, all of this anxiety, and you're a wimpy spider? You don't even kill people, or at least incredibly rarely? You hurt them. Oh, yeah, they sweat and they get belly pain, and you go to the ER and you have to get some medicines for that, but you're not killing people? What a loser! But what I can find is that in the US, there have been a few case reports of people dying from a severe allergic reaction to the antitoxin. Well, isn't that special? Treatment can be worse than a disease. So I'm not gonna give anyone the antitoxin unless it's a very severe case. I'm gonna treat your pain, your anxiety, observe you, and make sure you're not developing one of the complications of a widow spider bite. Now, there are some complications that are honestly very rare, but can happen and have been reported as a result of a widow spider bite. So most people are just going to have pain, anxiety, and some high blood pressure for a few hours and then get better. But in very rare cases, we have observed some organ failure as a result of a widow spider bite. So you can get something called myocarditis, and that's just a fancy doctor word for inflammation in the heart muscle. That's someone who we would want to admit to the hospital and observe them and make sure that they were getting better. That's someone we would consider giving antitoxin to. There's also some reports of people developing something called rhabdomyolysis. And this is when your muscle tissue starts to break down and it causes kidney failure. Again, someone we would want to watch and make sure they're getting better, maybe give antitoxin. And then finally, one more rare complication is something called priapism. Hello. Now, if you watch TV, You've probably seen commercials for Viagra, and so you've probably heard of priapism. That's basically an erection that won't go down. And that's something, again, that may need a procedure or an intervention. To avoid long-term injury, seek immediate medical help for an erection lasting more than four hours. And you're gonna have to trust me on this part. If the medications we give you don't work to make uh, the little guy sort of relax, well then what happens next is pretty much the worst parts of the Middle Ages. We're not gonna talk about it today. We'll get back to it on another session. But it's horrible. Aside from those rare cases, most people don't need antitoxin, and we're just going to treat symptomatically. Treat your pain, your anxiety, watch your blood pressure, make sure that's getting better. 
So what do we learn from this? Well, we learned that I was afraid, okay, am still afraid of spiders. We learned what these widow spiders look like and where they live, which is basically everywhere, so good luck with that. And we learned that sometimes they bite people, mainly when they feel threatened or scared, and these bites hurt like stink. And when it happens, if you can grab the spider and come into the ER, we would be happy to see you and treat you there because sometimes, in very rare circumstances, there are some complications that result from widow spider bites that can be very serious, though this is not common. Most people don't need antitoxin, and most people will be just fine. Well, thanks, Jess, for that lovely little story about spiders. I hope that was helpful to you. I think it had a lot of great information. Remember, it's very regional. Uh, these spiders are very common in North America. They're not so common in other places. For example, in Australia, there is a cousin of the black widow, and it's called a redback. It looks very similar, but it has that little red spot on its back. And its toxin is substantially, as you would guess, because it's from Australia, substantially worse. So that's a whole different story. Most importantly, don't freak out too much if you get bitten by one of these little boogers. Oh yeah, they hurt. And yeah, you should go and get checked in the emergency department. And yes, they're going to give you some medicines, but the vast majority of the time, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through it. You're not going to die. You might feel like you're going to die for a while, but you're not going to die. So I thought I'd go on a field trip into my back garden and see if I can find Black Widow Spider. They're always around here. In fact, I saw one just a couple of days ago and it didn't take long. Oh, smoke. So uh, I've got a little plastic container here that's got nothing of use in it. It's just got leaves and crap in it. And sure enough, in the corner of uh, this thing is a crazy disorganized little web which is one of the hallmarks, I guess, of uh, the Black Widow Spider. And in there is a little black spidey with a big round tummy and a little red thing on the bottom. There you go. It took about uh, one minute walking out of my back door. Oh, sorry, mate, <laughs> to find it. So there you go. I guess looking at webs is something that... Uh, spider experts can do and they can tell you what the spider is before they even see it. Like in Australia there's a classic spider called the funnel web which produces a web, that's right, that looks like a funnel. Really common around Sydney. And that spider is very poisonous and uh, gets sort of around the, the little swimming pools that you have for the kids. And so you'll see Australian mums and dads before the kids go out to play to run around the back garden and make sure that uh, they've squished all the funnel webs before their kids go out. So there you go. I'm very impressed with how quick that was. <laughs> I'm infested. Feeling a little anxious, are you? A little skin crawly crawly, are you? Well, we can't let you off that easily. Jess wants to tell us another story. This time, let's go to the hospital. No, oh, it's gross. In most hospitals, there's a special storage room in the intensive care unit that many employees don't know about and don't have access to. 
Inside are two things that you would never guess. They're things that most people find so frightening, they're shocked to hear it's part of modern medicine. Inside is a refrigerator with a clear plastic container filled with water, chilled to 10 degrees Celsius. And can you guess what's swimming inside? Leeches. We'll come back to the second one. Leeches are aquatic worms that feed off the blood of other animals. They have a three-part mouth, Y-shaped jaw with sharp teeth that they use to hook into their host and drink their blood. They're the vampires of the worm world. They're gross, but they're also amazing. Their use in medicine is about as old as recorded history itself and spans many cultures. Leeches are painted in ancient Egyptian tombs dating back to the 1500s BC. Their use has been recorded in ancient China, Persia, Greece, and Rome. The Roman physician Galen in the first century AD believed removing blood by leeching helped restore the body's balance. Leeches were believed to treat nearly all medical problems, arthritis, liver disease, epilepsy, STDs, and although it might make some people cringe, hemorrhoids. By the early 19th century, leeching reached its height in popularity, championed by French physician Francois Brousset. Leech farms started popping up everywhere, and over a hundred million leeches were used annually. However, popularity declined as more stringent scientific methods were embraced. But this is not the end of the story for our little friends. Anticoagulant properties of leeches were discovered in the 1880s, but it would take another 100 years before they made their comeback in the medical community. So what was it that brought leeches back into the good graces of medicine? It turns out that leech saliva contains a special protein called hyrudin, which inhibits blood clots from forming. Their saliva also causes dilation of blood vessels and relieves pain. These properties prevent blood clots and improve blood flow. Small parts of the body, such as a finger or an ear, sometimes get traumatically amputated, and surgeons try to reattach or reimplant them. But the small vessels often get congested, which means blood pools, clots, and oxygen can't reach the tissue that surgeons had worked so hard to reattach. If the blood flow doesn't improve, the tissue dies. Imagine your blood vessels are like little highways, and cars are the blood cells carrying oxygen. If the major highways get shut down, all the cars flood the surface streets. The streets get gridlocked and it's hard to get through. And that's where leeches come back into play. A re-implanted finger, for example, has improved chance for survival if leeches help clear the congested blood. Yes, they consume small amounts of blood, but the other properties of leech saliva play a major role. Dilation of vessels and inhibition of blood clots. This takes some cars off the road and reopens the highways so traffic can get through. You may be wondering how these slimy swamp worms are safe to use clinically. Leeches used in medicine today are sterile. They are farmed for this purpose only, are used one time on one patient for about 90 minutes to be exact, and then they're humanely disposed of. So what's the other secret item? On a shelf next to the refrigerator is another container that most people don't know about. The only thing that could be more frightening than a jar of leeches is a jar of maggots. 
tiny, flesh-colored, wiggling grains of rice. But don't maggots eat poop and trash and dead things? Yes, and that is exactly why they're so useful in modern medicine. Let me explain. The benefits of maggot therapy were first noted by the French barber surgeon Amboise Perret in 1559. He observed that maggots cleaned the wounds of soldiers. In 1917, an orthopedic surgeon at Johns Hopkins named William Baer popularized the use of maggots for wound healing in the U.S. For this great advancement in science, he's fondly remembered as the founder of modern maggot therapy. The use of maggots for chronic wounds really tapered off in the 1940s with the advent of penicillins and antibiotics. Unfortunately, bacteria has evolved over time. They developed resistance to antibiotics, and they became superbugs. This led to nasty bugs like methicillin-resistant Staph aureus, called MRSA or MRSA. Each time we develop a new antibiotic, it's only a matter of time before a new superbug becomes resistant. So what do we do? This is where maggots come in. Maggots debride wounds, meaning they remove dead, damaged, or infected tissue. They also kill bacteria, even the superbugs. They do this by direct ingestion of the bacteria and by secreting enzymes that create a hostile environment to bacteria and not humans. Actually, it promotes healing. Patients with poor circulation, especially from diabetes and pressure ulcers, tend to develop chronic wounds, often infected with superbugs, which makes healing difficult. Don't be worried, doctors aren't dumpster diving for maggots and rushing back in to sprinkle them on open wounds. Like medical leeches, these maggots are farmed in a sterile environment and used only on one patient. Let's be clear. Leeches and maggots aren't running rampant in the hospital. They're confined to a specific container that's secured to the patient, and usually the patient can't see them. Leeches and maggots are old remedies that lost favor over time, but now they've made a comeback. Sometimes we learn that the old ways of doing things actually had some science behind them, whether we knew it or not. Well, thanks to Jess. Obviously, Jess did most of the heavy lifting uh, in this session. She did a fantastic job. I want to remind you all, though, and we'll be reminding you a lot during this program, um, this is an edutainment variety show by doctors and non-doctors. You should in no way consider this medical advice for your particular situation. It's general education, all right? So if you're worried about uh, spiders, if you got bitten by a spider, go talk to your doc, all right? It's very, very important. Did you have any questions, Dave? You're going to be um, our resident non-doctor. You've just listened. You've just listened Congratulations. to. Congratulations! Yeah. I've been shanghaied. Yeah. You've listened to spiders and maggots. Do you have any questions that Jess can answer? Because I can't. Yeah, let me think about this. You can prompt me yeah, to remember. Yeah, here's a question. Where do they get the maggots from? Oh, we were just talking about that, yeah. weren't we? Mm -hmm. I'm thinking I could be a maggot farmer. If nothing else works <laughs> for me, I could go into maggot farming, a maggotour, right? Right. Well, that's, a, that would be a, a French maggot farmer. Yeah, I'd have a little right. beret. 
and I would, <laughs> a I would cup of coffee. I wouldn't. I wouldn't need like an acre, right? You just need a no, room. You could probably with a lot of Tupperware. You could do it in your house, yeah. but not in my house. Just take a cow um, and just yeah. gut it and leave it in the, in the yeah in the house. Or or go down to the supermarket, find out what's on sale in the meat department, and try to get it for the cheapest. And but they all have to be really sterile, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's hilarious, but totally not realistic. If you want to be, I can't a- wear a beret. I know. <laughs> just look, don't look good in one. It's my face. It's, it's too round. If you want to be a maggot farmer, everything has to be sterile. So it's a very, very clean process. It comes. There's specific. I don't want to call them manufacturers because I feel weird <laughs> calling someone farmers who makes a life form a manufacturer. But they're they're specific. Uh, let's call them labs. That sounds sciencey. Okay. They're labs that you know breed maggots or breed leeches and they're very clean and it's just for the purpose of medical therapy it's funny because i when i was uh, reading about maggots after you did your show i was thinking yeah i wonder if they just use like everyday fly maggots i can just like yeah, leave my what, leg yeah. out yeah. and just like here fly fly come on have a poo and right. lay your eggs and but it turns out that there's uh, the larva of two specific species is what's used for medical maggots. Uh, the green bottle fly disinfected and sterilized for use in medicine. This is a review article about whether maggot therapy works, but they didn't go into detail in this article about the maggotors. But I'm going to make this your job. You have okay. to go and find yeah. a maggotor. How much? We've got ma- to interview one of these people. Right. Like, how does this go down? And I need to know the markup on a maggot. I need to know yeah. a price breakdown of a maggot. Yeah, well, ten cents a maggot, which doesn't sound bad, but it sounds bad when there's a lot of them. So it's I've, probably more than that. Yeah. So I've got this article here, and it's a real article from a real journal, from the Journal of Pharmacy Practice, in 2011, and it's a review of maggot therapy. And in here, one moment, please. You can hear me rattling. First of all, I wanted to know how many maggots. Ready? Here's what they do. Um, It's all over the place, but in general, the studies that have looked at maggots for wound therapy put 5 to 10 larvae per centimeter squared. Right. And then they put a little uh, uh, hydrocolloid pad over the top of them and so the maggots can't run away. So they take your wound, they shove the maggots on there, then they put this little dressing over the top and the maggots can't like start running underneath the bed sheets and stuff like that. I think they did that that in Gladiator. Isn't that what he did in Gladiator? That's right. He had a bandage and he was like, it, he started picking at it and his new friend was like, don't touch it. That's right. I forgot Let the Gladiator job. movie. Yeah. Um, and yeah. then is there evidence of efficacy? So I will not bore you with the medical details, but there is not big randomized double blind multi-center trials, which is the stuff doctors say about really high quality studies that you can believe. But there's basically a lot of little studies that say we had some people with some bad wounds and we put some maggots on them. And then we asked the doctors and nurses, do you think that worked? And they said, we think it worked great. And sometimes they do these controls where they didn't put maggots on them and those people's wounds didn't heal as fast as the maggoty ones. So that is pretty cool. Not great evidence, but the evidence we have that in particularly these necrotic, swollen, nasty wounds on your legs, maggot therapy can help. What else is really fascinating is the way they actually do it. Because it's kind of hard to picture, you know, what are you just going to kind of sprinkle them on and walk right, away? Right. You know, how is the dressing prepared? Can the patient see it? That would be very disturbing. So I found some articles about that where, so it's usually a foot, right? It's usually a nasty foot wound. And um, there's certain techniques where they'll take like a, a biohazard bag and they'll tape it around the foot once the maggots are inside. And then of course they... 
they uh, preserve the intact skin uh, with a special dressing. So that way the maggots are confined to just the area of the foot and the wound and they can't go exploring. That's right. What else is dead? Because the key thing with these maggots is that they, if you've got the right maggots, and this is very important, the right maggots will only eat dead, nasty flesh Mm. and not pink, live, happy, good flesh. But there are maggots out there from flies that'll just eat you alive. So that's why you got to get the right type of maggot. You have to trust your maggoteer. Yeah. Your maggoteer. That's right. (laughs) Do Um, the maggots just die when they're done? Or do you have to go in and pick them out with tweezers? That is a good point. So in general, they leave the maggots in there for... Until they fly away. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. Uh, Here we go. There's lots of... In all of these studies that they cite in this thing... The wounds, the maggots were left in the wound for a variable amount of time from a few hours to a few days and then they pick them out. They don't let them turn into flies and stuff and zip off. Well, I guess that's the problem because we don't have a lot of randomized controlled studies to test the duration of maggot therapy. So it's probably not really well known yet. And the other thing is, when we think about medical studies, what's the downside? So I don't know how much a maggot costs, but you're going to find out, Dave, yeah, because yeah. you're going to be our I'm resident maggoteer. Okay. I want to know how much per maggot. <laughs> yes. Because I want to see if there's some cash in there. I was thinking about alpacas, but if that, maggot yeah, seems maggots. easy. maggots. <laughs> and I know. I don't know exactly, but I guarantee my insurance doesn't cover maggots. <laughs> I want to know what they feed the maggots. Dead flesh. Yeah, but it's got to be, you know, disease-free oh, dead right, flesh. Right, yeah. So I want to know the food. Okay. How well is this tolerated? Most people actually tolerated this very well. They said some people have some pain from the maggots eating around. You can feel it. The good thing is that a lot of these wounds are in patients who have diabetes, who have this thing called peripheral neuropathy where their nerves don't work very well. So they weren't feeling it very much at all. I think that's why. But also they noted in here that some people cannot take the psychological aspects of having maggots Uh, eating them. Yeah, right. They didn't say how many. But as a percent of people say, no way you're putting those maggots One on would do it. <laughs> yeah, that'd one, be... One I'd flip. That'd be hard for me to handle. This is so now so well accepted that the FDA is actually approved maggot therapy in 2004. It's FDA approved. Yeah. I want the uh, Viagra and I'd uh, take some maggots. To <laughs> and a maggot. <laughs> maggot to wash it down with. <laughs> that might be a combo you don't want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, actually, there is some stuff in here on costs. The, you know, it costs a lot to do dressing. So if you've got a wound that's nasty and infected and um, you don't use maggots, you have to change the dressings all the time. And wet to dry as you put on some gauze and then you tear it off. And you, there's a lot of nursing that's involved in there. And they said that this maggot therapy um, is at least as cost effective and in many cases significantly more cost effective than standard medical practice. Okay. There you go. And I think you could also say, I mean, sure, the maggot therapy might be a little bit painful, but so is constant dressing changes, mm-hmm. kind of tearing off the current dressing to replace it with a fresh one. I mean, that's pulling off um, not just the film and debris and necrotic tissue, but also a little bit of the healthy healing tissue is going to come with it. So, Have you, either of you, seen a jar of maggots in the hospital? Or is it something you have to special order? Like, stat, we need maggots. And then the truck, the, <laughs> the Acme truck comes pulling up. Like, and like, Get the helicopter, get the maggots yeah. in it. The Acme truck. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> with Wiley Coyote. Bring, bring, sign here. <laughs> Maggots. <laughs> I've seen leeches. But not maggots. But not maggots. I've never seen medicinal maggots, but I've seen a lot of maggots in yeah. patients from the oh, streets. Oh, but not intentional. No. Right, right. Okay. Do you come in and just, Ugh. you know, you're unwrapping their wounds. And it's usually some very sad, homeless yeah. person who's got mental disorder and who's on lots of drugs. And they come in and they've got a big leg wound or something like that. And you undo the dressing. And I've 
in my brain, like I'll never get rid of these pictures. Awful. Just this splat of oh. maggots onto the floor. And you're like, that's nasty, but probably healthy for your... Yeah. Unless it was the flesh eating kind of oh, maggot. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Yeah. Yeah, can I, I don't know how gross we're going to be here, but I've actually had a patient who was so sick that uh, they had this wound in their abdomen that was open and the maggots were inside the wound and they were popping out little holes in the person's uh, belly. So they had to go to the OR and have all of this maggots and dead tissue taken out. And I've got an even worse one. Are you ready? Can you take this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep going. Do you want Do this it. one? Yeah. It's I'm the in, worst I'm in one. Bring it on. Bring it we on. had a patient, um, really sad guy, twenty, young, in his early 20s, who was a very bad alcoholic. He had the disease terribly bad at a very young age. And he would come to the emergency department every night with various traumas and being found down on the ground. And just every night we saw him. And uh, that was during my residency 20 plus years ago. He came in one night and he was saying, there's something in my ear, there's something in my ear. And he was uh, drunk, very drunk. Uh, we'll call him Sam. That wasn't his name. Yeah, Sam, just like go sleep it off and we'll check you in the morning. It's like, no, no, there's something in my ear. So, uh, the nurse practitioner who was there did a nice thorough exam and said, there's something in this guy's ear. Mm -mm. I'm like, what? Mm -mm. And uh, I was the attending. I was the guy in charge. So I went over and I looked in his ear and it was maggots, full of maggots. How, how many? How many can maggots can be in your ear? A lot. A lot. So here's what we did. We irrigated the ear out. So the, so the ear we put in water and it became maggots, 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 maggots. And then I look in again. And then I see what the problem is. So behind your ear, there's this thing called the mastoid. It's this big cell of uh, like a little resonant chamber. It's like a piece of bone that's very got a lot of big hole on it. And the maggots, something had happened and he had trauma there. And the maggots had gotten into this thing and then made it home. So they were living basically at the base of his brain in this hole, which is connected to his ear, just, you know, chowing away. So I called the ENT doctors and said, you know, I've got a patient down here who's got maggots in their brain or at the base of their brain in their mastoid. And it's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, trust me, come down. So they had to take this poor guy to the OR and cut the bottom of his skull off and oh. pull all the maggots out and irrigate it out. And uh, it was pretty nasty. The the attending ENT doctor, I saw him a few days later. It's like, I've never, never in my life will I see like that again. In the operating room. Opening up this guy's mastoid and just maggots falling onto the operating room oh. floor. It's there like, goes your field. That's terrible. Is this too gross for uh, the show? I'm sorry. No, this, no, no, I think this is exactly what people want to hear. Um, it's upsetting. But I thought maggots were eating the dead tissues. Yeah, so he, what they He's, presumed is that he had this, he was always having traumas and getting bashed and that he probably oh. had some yeah. trauma to like his mastoid and there was skull. blood and stuff in there and some maggots got in there and they're like, oh, there's some dead stuff here. Yeah. Maggot condo, high rise, yeah. take up shop. Crazy. Oh. But you know what? Maybe they weren't the uh, non-flesh eating yeah. maggots. Maybe they were the flesh eating yeah. maggots. That's tough with the patients who are always intoxicated and they come in with a complaint and you got to like take it seriously every time because that might be the time that they really do have yeah. uh, flesh eating maggots flesh -eating in maggots their brain. Now, kids out there, if you're worried that, oh my gosh, I can't go to sleep tonight because a maggot or a fly is going to go in and they're gonna, maggots are going to be in my ear and I'm not going to know and then my whole head's going to get eaten. No, you're normal and you'll feel if something goes near you. 
and you'll go, hey, get out of there, fly. Yeah. And then you'll go and to the VR, and you'll say there's something in my ear, and they'll go like, go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so my time. No, no, I swear. That's a whole other story about things that go into people's ears, but it's pretty gross. Ugh. Cockroaches, flies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you had one. Maggots. You had a cockroach it's in disgusting. someone's ear, right? Yeah, yeah, a couple of them. Yeah. Oh. That must be really horrifying. Um, and then the other thing, just the last thing about this article, which is a nice review article, and there's a link to it in the show notes if you want to read medical... Uh, literature which yeah it's pretty boring oh tons of it um <laughs> turns out that uh, not only do these maggots eat the bad flesh they can actually make you heal faster and it seems to reduce the amount of bacteria the bad bacteria in your wound and uh they think there's this substance called serotocin serotocin and uh that is actually released from these larvae which is actually antibacterial so now there are these drug companies looking at this oh. agent because maybe they're going to turn it into an antibiotic yep. boom for the maggots yep. bam yep. there you go that's what i'm Very saying cool. maggots making a comeback mm-hmm. <laughs> all right ladies and gentlemen boys and girls i'm going to end the discussion there the discussion went on much longer but we don't want to have these podcasts going too long 30 45 minutes tops is what we're aiming for but if you think these discussions are at all helpful just uh, sort of chatting about some of this stuff then uh, we can add it as extra content. Let us know. I hope it didn't hurt, because the show is called This Won't Hurt a Bit. We're going to end it here, and we'll be talking to you again soon. My name's Mel Herbert. She was Jess Mason. Produced by CeCe Herbert and Bill Connor. Sound designed by Bill Connor and Dave Mason. The information you hear on This Won't Hurt a Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor. So be sensible and keep it real. This has been a Fully Boo production. And of course, this, 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 this,